we're going to uh, unpack these bits, John 15 uh, and John 17, uh, these parts that really just are so, um, so, so, so beautiful uh, in Scripture. Um, and I just, yeah, join me now. We'll pray and we'll ask God to guide us as we, um, as we look through this together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus, for his sufficiency, that he's enough, that he's everything, that uh, we're not left with Jesus and then needing a whole bunch more, fretting in our minds with the 50 things in our lists that we need to do in order to, to be right with you or even to grow and produce fruit. But there is one needful thing, and he is sufficient for all of the needs that we have. And so, Father, we thank you for sending him. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And Spirit, we ask you now that we would honour Father and Son and Spirit well as we listen to you in Scripture and as we have our hearts trained by your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, pens, box of pens are still there if you want to uh, make notes on the thing. As we, I'd encourage you actually as we uh, go through these passages that maybe you might sort of sit there and like tick off words in the values list and think, oh, actually, yeah, I see. Oh, I see, yeah, oh, yeah that's, that's, that's there, isn't it? That's Jesus' priority too. Or even, you know, or even little red marks if there's stuff that we need to fix up um, as we see what Jesus' priorities are. Now, I think, it's, I think it's quite powerful, and it's worth starting with tonight, that when God walked this earth, he made friends. You got a good friend? Or you want a good friend? Before this, of course, God loved people, interacted with people before he became human. But as a human, he made friends. And guess what? Then he had to leave them. He had to leave them. And he cares about these guys. He invested every bit of his life in them. He, he, he walked with them, bathed with them, probably often didn't bathe you know, with them. They were smelling each other. They were being... And he cared about them. And then he had to leave them. And some of you will really feel that if you've had to leave friends. And some of you will feel much more strongly for the disciples as you've had friends who've left you. And John, who wrote this bit down... See, he was Jesus' best friend. And he wrote about what happened that day, his last day, with his best friend. So we get to hear what Jesus did, what he said to, and what he prayed for, his friends, as he said goodbye to them. That's what this section of John's about. We, we, we should really do a series through John 13 onwards one day. But tonight we're just going to pick out two of the purple passages. Then they're not just two of the purple passages uh, from John. They're two of the most beautiful things ever spoken. The vine and the prayer. First the vine and then the prayer. Jesus picks this beautiful metaphor in verse 1. The vine. No, not a vine. The vine, he says. The, the true vine. So whatever this vine is going to be a metaphor for, there are fakes out there. Copies that promise to give what the vine gives, but actually don't. And Jesus is setting himself up against those. So the first point is actually that he's, he is the vine. Now, but the second thing here is, is that uh, Jesus chooses the vine as his metaphor because what he wants to talk about is actually fruit, fruitfulness. 
I mean, have a look at verse 2. In verse 2, it's all about fruit, bearing fruit. In verse 4, it is about bearing fruit. In verse 5, it is about bearing fruit. And down in verse 16, closing it all together, the chosen, the, the, the reason God chose these people, Jesus chose these men, these friends, was so that they might go and bear fruit that will last. So the meaning of the vine, why does Jesus use vine? It's it's beautiful. It makes me think of the Barossa Valley. It's great. But the, he didn't say it because of that. He used the vine because it's the thing that supports and nourishes and produces Christian fruitfulness. It gives the branches a place to be. It provides them the sap that nourishes their activities. It stops them from shriveling up. And it gives them the energy to act. Without the vine, there is no Christian fruitfulness. Now, what is fruitfulness? Uh, it's characteristic across Christian scripture that fruitfulness is, is character. I mean, Galatians 5, the classic, the fruit of the Spirit is, singular fruit of the Spirit, is all these things, love, joy, peace, forbearance, otherwise no, translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe you know a kid's song in attune to that. And so it's a little bit interesting when you look at that and you, you think, hold on, actually, this isn't, all, this isn't all stuff that we could put and measure in GDP. This isn't product. You can't ship units of love. It's, these are aspects of character. And I say character because it captures that God is talking about both the heart of the person and the nature of the life that is lived, both. Both the internal and the behavioural. You see, love's about your internal disposition. Peace is a state of being. Gentleness is a heart thing. It's character. And yet, love is an action thing. Peace is about how you treat people. And gentleness is about what you do and how you say it. You see, it's character, the quality of life that a person consistently lives. Now, I say this because if, I think if we think of fruitfulness only in terms of activity, you're going to read a beautiful passage like John 15, and you're going to think, oh, man, I've got so much to do. I've got, got, got a lot of grapes to produce, or Jesus is going to be angry. Maybe even starting to live for the gain, live for Christian gain, rather than the joy and peace of receiving each moment as a gift. See, fruitfulness here is just as much the patience and discipline to say not do something, maybe not doing something that's actually right for somebody else to do, even though it might appease my anxiety if I went and did it. That's as much fruitful as actually doing some difficult task, which is hard for the benefit of someone else. They're both fruitful. It's an internal character which is visible in the choices that we make. The thing I like about this is that the person who, who lives like this would be a beautiful neighbour, wouldn't they? Like someone, you know, loving, they're joyful, they've got peace in their heart, they're patient, they're kind, they're good, faithful to their word, gentle, and they're self-controlled. They don't just throw the empty bottle at your house when if you're being too noisy late at night. Like they'd be a great neighbour. They'd make a great boss at work. See, what Jesus is on about here is about the producing of people who would have been perfect for caring for the Garden of Eden. would have been great if they'd stayed there to look after it and extend it. And who will be perfect for the job of caring for the new creation. 
So when Jesus says, I am the vine, what he's saying to his disciples is, even though I am leaving, this is the leaving conversation, I'm still going to be the source of your growth in character. You need to know that. Your ability to bear the fruit that the father, this gardener, wants to get out of his garden is entirely dependent upon whether you're connected or me, to me or not. If I go to the app store on my phone and click the productivity tools, I'll get all sorts of things. And if I go to the self-help books in the bookshop, I'll get all sorts of ways to increase my personal productivity. It's, it's endless. Be assured they are not a substitute for the nourishment of Jesus. Not for the fruit that the Father wants to produce in you. Not for the crop He wants to grow. See, there might be things that you and I are really keen to produce that are actually kind of a bit weedy in God's garden. But we're seeking them. I'm not saying stop reading self-help books, but if you're reading them and not Scripture, what do, we, what do you want to grow? So, Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me. You need to remain in me. If you want to produce the fruit that God wants, you have to. Make no mistake. Love, joy, peace. That's what he wants to see. And he's a pruning God. He's a pruning God. He will both prune us so that we produce more fruit. And ultimately, if a branch refuses to, has no desire to, doesn't want to produce fruit, well, that branch is removed because it doesn't belong on that vine. Um, when I was uh, young, I remember mum, she's a black thumb. She could kill anything. Like, she was really, really good at, at killing plants. And so we had this, this one rose bush, which was just, like, just, just overgrown and, and nasty. And I, she, she just hacked it. It was like, there was like a stump. There was this left. And I, I, I genuinely thought she was trying to kill it. Because oh, I don't know about pruning. I'm a little kid. And maybe, maybe she was. Like, seriously. I don't know. And just bam. It was not long before these massive roses came out. It was beautiful. And God says, I'm going to do that. Now, you might have the question, what does it mean to do this remaining in Jesus thing? Or the, or the related question, how is it that remaining in Jesus helps me? Now, while I don't think it's John's intention to answer those questions directly with the verse that I'm about to point you towards, so don't, don't, don't come at me on the exegesis, I'll, I'll agree with you that's not. I think the thing is the, the verse still does answer the question. See, the next thing that John says, he asks, that Jesus says, sorry, in John, is to remain in my love. Remain in my love, says Jesus. It's Jesus' love for you that changes your character. This is the thing. Um, you have to let Jesus serve you. He has to be the provider. Jesus says, I will give you what you need for fruitfulness. Don't give up. Don't be more distant from me because you've been working on your, you've been sort of like, you've done, you've been, you've been working on your godliness and you've been working on being a bit more fruitful and, and, and then, then I'll feel okay and I'll be able to, to be back with God again. I'll be on track. See, that's a trap. You see, have a look at verse four. You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I'm just going to become a bit more fruitful so I'll feel like I can go back to God again and go back to church and reconnect with him and pray again. No, no. You can't do that. It doesn't work. How does it work? 
verses 7 and 8. We go to the source of nutrients in prayer. Continually, continually with hope. We ask him for these things. God wants to answer the prayer, by the way, because he, he's the one who wants to produce the fruit. It's his garden. When we ask him to produce some, some, some melons, we, when we ask him to produce some, some patience, some gentleness, well, that's, you're praying in his will. That's what he wants. He will answer this prayer. You'll be showing yourself as well to be Jesus' disciple. He said to his friends before he had to leave. And this, 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 this is just pulling it together. The goal is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is character. The only source of nourishment and support that's capable of producing the kind of character that the gardener wants is Jesus. It's the vine. So remain in him and remain in his love. It's his love for you that will change you and actively pursue him in prayer. That's the vine. And now the prayer. Um, didn't mention earlier the, I don't think, do you, do you remember when we're talking about letting, letting Jesus be the lover of you, letting Jesus be the servant of you? Sorry, I skipped something. This is the same day that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Right? The, the, when, I, when I put up, flashed up that verse, John 13, 1, where he says, ah, oh, it's time, come time to me to leave. The next thing that happens is that when they get together, Jesus goes and washes his disciples' feet. Do you remember what Peter did? Peter was like, Jesus, this is, not, this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to get myself in a state and then come to you because you're the honoured one. You're not supposed to be the one who makes soils yourself to get me into a state that's okay. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand this. That's not how this works. You actually need to let me serve you. That's how this relationship is going to go well. And so having washed his disciples' feet, having told them to grow in fruitfulness in their character, reminding them to pray, then Jesus then prays for them. This is what John 17 is. Jesus praying for the world, for his disciples, and praying also for us. This is one of the most beautiful things. He prays for the ones who are going to believe in Jesus through the words that um, through the words I got the wrong verse up there sorry through the words that the disciples will share this is the this is the part of the Bible where Jesus prays directly for you and so now we're going to hear what Jesus wants for us he wants for us here to be one instead of the last line of that verse on the screen there unified in worship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And you might have noticed in the, in the, the this is soul statement there that that's, that's a big theme. It's all the way through. Oneness, unity. And, and that was partly because it was a big focus of many of the contributions, this idea of welcome of people from all different places that would be united despite the differences that are there, that we would be together in deep, meaningful relationships, that, um, that we would be uh, united on the same mission for Jesus and in that and together in worship of him and expressing that together unily, uni, uh, unified in one voice. But it's not just because it's what you guys write, it's because it's what Jesus prays for his people it's not just what he prays for his friends, it's what he prayed for us directly. So now, now this is jumping out of the pages at you and me, right? And, and so this is the one thing. Like this is the biggest thing in Jesus' prayer for you and me. 
Like if Jesus, you know, you know the, the classic you had one job line, this is the one prayer of Jesus for you, the one thing he wants for us. If this is Jesus' prayer, the one thing he directly asked God for, our unity in him, then that, that actually has implications for us, I think. See, I think it means we don't just need to want that thing, we actually need to pursue it. See, see uh, I mean, we all want unity. It's like a really nice sounding word. There's nothing bad about it, really. We all want to be close. We all want to be connected. We want to be loved. That part's not hard, right? But are you pursuing that? Like, are you getting uncomfortable to ensure that the unity happens? Like, is that what you will get up and do a hard thing in order to make sure it happens? Is there someone that you sort of look around and you're like, oh, hold on, I'm not sure. I've just got to check if they're feeling connected, if they're, if they're actually, if actually uh, uh, been loved and, and been enfolded and, and if they've uh, been talked through the differences and difficulties. That, am I doing that? Are you thinking about your actions and asking, does this bring us together? What I'm saying, what I'm doing or even going a little bit harder, are you thinking about your lifestyle choices and asking, well, does this choice bring God's people together? Because it's not just, do I want it? It's not just, am I even to go further? It's not just, am I pursuing it? It's, am I checking the actions that I'm doing to see if maybe accidentally I'm, I'm undoing it? As Ephesians asks us to, 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 to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I know it might seem like I'm adding something else onto an already full plate, but I hope as well as we hear Jesus pray, you can see it's actually not. Uh, this is not another plate onto a, onto a table that's full. We're meant to like get, get the arm and just, just get the other plates off the table so that this plate sits on the table. Let a couple of other ones crack to, get, to make sure there's room for this one. One job, we've got one job. Now, okay, overstated that just the tiniest bit in terms of whether that's the only thing Jesus prayed for, but, but that is the vibe of what Jesus prayed for. It is, it is the one vibe. Two little things that he mentions as well that we'll just pull together in the prayer and then we'll finish up. First one is, not just be united with Jesus, but also that we would see his glory. That we grow deeper in our relationship with him, our appreciation for his goodness, our joy in his love, our peace in his lordship, the kind of thing that happens as you meditate on Scripture. As you think about, oh, this is actually what Jesus has done for me. This is who he is and what he's, how he's treated me. The kind, the kind of meditation Psalm 1 talks about. Spend time in that. So if you, if, if you realise one day that you stop and you get up and think, you know what, I'm, actually really, I'm not sure if I think or feel that Jesus is that great anymore. You're going to wake up like that someday. So meditation. Meditation is in order. Meditate on the gospel and what he has done for you on the cross. Last one. The last thing we'll pick up from the prayer is verse 23. The, the fruitfulness of our lives, our connection with Jesus and the character that it produces, will Jesus praise that it will have its desired effect. And that effect is that the world will know that this Jesus that we talk about all the time really does come from the Father. That he's really God. 
that there's really something in this religion thing that you do, and he really is the king of this world. You see, the natural and appropriate result of, of fruitfulness of character and unity within the church is effective evangelism. Like, not because, oh, you, you've then got to do effective evangelism as your next step, because that just will be effective evangelism. Do the first two, connect with Jesus, have fruitfulness of character, be unified as a church, so that the world will know that this thing that you're doing is a real thing. Look at the effect it's having in this church on these humans. They're incredible. Whether they're from Tasmania, Brisbane, India, Scotland, Korea, Singapore, China, character of Christ in our lives will testify to someone from any culture that God is the source. The most effective evangelism strategy for your workplace just might be your godliness. I mean, if you've got Jim sitting next to you in the cubicle, the best way to get him to know Jesus might just be for you to connect with the vine more. To be and sit with Jesus more habitually, more regularly. To spend some time with Jesus, sharing your pain and shame with Jesus, so that they, they, they stop overflowing when, when some criticism comes your way, because actually the, 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 the bubbling pot of sort of, you know, turbulence inside has kind of been dealt with, in, and there's a peace there from Christ. And so when you get a little bit more added on, you've got some ballast, you can deal with a bit of criticism, you can deal with a bit of silliness or whatever, and it doesn't overflow into anger and angry words and outbursts at work. Maybe the best way to share gospel with the annoying girl who sits in your class in high school next to you might be to learn forgiveness. Uh, to, to go to Jesus with your wrongdoing and shame, let him deal with it, stop playing the role of your own judge and thinking, judging yourself all the time and getting in the habit of judging Jesus' role and, and experience the joy and freedom from sin. It's, it's okay, all my messed upness is gone and Jesus is taking care of it. And then the compassion that I've allowed Jesus to have for me can flow to forgiveness for this other person who's clearly broken and messed up and needs forgiveness like I do. Then they'll know that this Jesus that you remain in is really powerful and is really God. And then you can invite them to do exactly what you've been doing, which is what John's gospel is all about. Saying, hey, look, I've been praying a lot lately. I've been going to Jesus and it's been hard. Some mornings I've just not felt like doing it whatsoever feel like I'm not good enough for him or feel like maybe I don't really need him, whichever side of the coin you sit on. But it's been good for me. He's loved me when I've gone to him. He's changing me. Did you want to pray with me sometime? It's good. Go and try. Let's pray. Jesus, it is, it is beautiful. It's beautiful what you said to your friends before you left them. It's a sad day for you, but well, how, how just delightful for them to know that you were not going to stop being the source of all of the power that they needed to be fruitful. That all they need to do is to remain with you, stick with you, stick close with you, the one thing, the one one, the one, one that they worship. Father, thank you for Jesus' prayer for us that we would be united together in true love with each other, in real relationships, 
in relationships where we're real with you, bring our sin really to you. And so therefore we've got a habit of living life with Jesus that we can even invite others into as well. So Father, we just ask that we'd be unified, please. We ask you that we'd be united with you. We ask you that we'd be united with each other. We ask that we would be fruitful, that we'd be intentional in the way that we seek you out in word, shape our lives around you, get the power for it from your son. And Lord, we ask that as that just is us more and more, that it'd just be really natural to invite someone else to have a go too. To invite them to get to know the Lord who made them, that they might bear much fruit as well. Lord, we ask that this would be us as we move into the future. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.